You're listening to Run, Are You Win? Revive Us Now podcast with Steve Gray. As pastor of the Smithton Outpouring and the Kansas City Revival, Steve is a leading voice of revival worldwide. Steve shares his life-changing encounters with God, along with biblical teaching that equips you to experience and lead lasting revival. Come, run with Steve and expect God to revive us now. and welcome again to Revive Us Now podcast. I am your host, Steve Gray, and we're going to talk about revival today, but then actually we're going to talk about why not revival part two. If you missed part one, you can go back and get part one, and uh, it kind of leads into part two. So we're going to keep ro- ro- uh, you know, rolling on this, why not revival, and get it. So why don't we have revival? Well, the answer's real, real simple. We can find the answer right here. Why not revival? The reason we don't have revival is because people don't want one. <laughs> yeah, Our, uh, we can't blame it on God. A lot of people blame it on God. Well, God just hadn't come down yet. Uh, or it's not God's timing or God's sovereign will. When he's, God has a sovereign will, and when it's time, he'll, he'll do it. But, you know, God has already got a sovereign will that he resuscitates his people. That's what revival is. Revival's taking people who are on their last breath or half breath or half dead or they've gone backslidden or they're just hanging on. And he's already promised to resuscitate, to bring back to life the half dead, to bring those that are just hanging on, those that want to come back, those that are prodigal sons, those that are like the second son out in the yard, angry about something at God and God wants them to come into the celebration of the first son. He's already sovereignly said, I will bring you to life. Even if you're a believer, but you've kind of lost it all and you need to come back to God. He's already sovereignly said it. But the reason people don't get resuscitated or brought back to life and, and, and got the fire of God going in them again because they don't want to. And so... <clears throat> It's hard for me to think that there are people that don't want that wonderful presence of Almighty God flooding their lives, but it's true. And, uh, of course, you know, for me, I've experienced it so many times. I got to lead two revivals that have been documented, you know. Uh, a lot of people call it revival, and they have a little spurt here and there. And good, good for them. I'm glad for them. But to have these long uh, year, three-and-a-half-year, three-year things that have been documented, written about, you know, and people came from all over the world is another thing, and I got to lead those things. And you know what? It costs. It costs to have a true revival, a true move of God, because you've got, you know, three, four, five services a week for three years. That's costly. But life gets better, and it's worth everybody that's been through it. You know, the real thing that really walked it out, oh, my. I mean, to be swept away into the glorious presence of God, you know, and you can read about it in way before my time and in my time, uh, people who were so struck by the power of God, they couldn't even move. You know, it's happened to me where just the power of God came. I just froze in time. I don't know how long. I just, I just couldn't move. I'm just standing there, and everything's going on around me. You know, and I can hear it. And but I'm, I'm, I'm here, but I'm somewhere else at the same time. I've been on the floor doing just I'm here, but I'm somewhere else. And in the presence of glory of God, while I'm still here on earth, and I don't even know how to describe it to you. But a lot of people have good services, and a lot of people call things today revival because there's an upsurge of excitement and the you know the services are longer and people are jumping and teenagers are jumping good all good for it but you you that have been other places and in real revival and there's there's people on the earth that have um, know that to be swept completely away into a realm that's beyond just fun jumping around and 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 a, and a greater excitement for Jesus which is good 
and it's, it's, it's what I call the rumblings of revival, but not necessarily real revival. And so here's the problem, though. People don't want revival. A lot of people don't want revival, and here's the reason why. They're afraid of losing and giving up their worldliness, you know, they don't want to give up their worldliness. A lot of people I've talked to, you know, they're afraid of revival. They're afraid of a move of God. And they, I had one woman tell me, well, I'm afraid of giving it all to Jesus because he's going to take my children away. I thought, where in the world did you get that idea? Or he's going to make me give my, give my home up. Or I won't have all these luxuries. And I thought, what are you thinking about? You don't even know what's important to important to God. I mean, God may be against the love of money, but he's not against money. You know, what about Abraham, how rich he was, and David was rich, and Solomon was piling up gold, you know. He didn't care about that. He cared about David's heart. He said, David's got a heart for me. Abraham was a man of faith, you know, and so he didn't care about all that. He, he's not going to ask you to give up your home or give up your children. Now you got to go drive a clunker car. That's not what he's going to do. He's going to ask you to give up things in your heart that that are not part of his kingdom. That's what that's the worldliness he's after. Your unforgiveness and your bitterness and, and being offended, possessions and stuff like that. He doesn't care about that. Not that's not where it's gonna start. He's gonna start with your your heart. And people become worldly with worldly standards of judgment, worldly standards of criticism, worldly standards of how they view other people, how they view God, how they view other people, how they view uh, the world. So if you want. If you want a genuine move of God, and I have people tell me they do, well, you got to forgive everybody. Have you forgiven everybody? Everybody, everybody, everybody? Do you have bitterness against anybody, anybody, anybody? There could be no bitterness against anybody if you want a genuine move of God. Well, some people don't want to give that up. They just don't. They'd rather, you know, they'll give up drinking, they'll give up cussing, and they'll give up drugs, you know, and, they, and they'll give up uh, immorality and give up watching bad movies or dirty movies or whatever. You know, they'll give up that outside stuff, but here's what religious people do. They hang on to the inside stuff, and God asks them to give up their worldliness because they don't know what worldliness is. Religion makes worldliness a long time ago. You know, even <laughs> a long time ago, religious people wouldn't let you drink coffee. That was being worldly, you know, or dancing or something like that and uh, and uh, it, it was all that kind of stuff you know and drinking and cussing and stuff but now we realize you know worldliness is in the heart it's heart and it's in the heart and that's what he asked you so you see uh, uh, you know the car and by the way people Christians would not have unforgiveness if there wasn't something pleasurable about it, if there wasn't something carnal about it, because God says, don't, you know, God just plain says you got to forgive to be forgiven, but people have unforgiveness, and, and why would they do it? Why would Christians be angry at somebody else when God says that's a, that's a, that's a carnal, worldly, fleshly spirit and the spirit of offense in that? Well, you see, being angry, being upset, uh, holding unforgiveness about people, you know why people do it? Because there's pleasure in it. There's a carnal pleasure in it, being angry. Now, the Bible says that sin has pleasure for a season, just a season. Then it can grab, grab hold of you. But see, so there's people, uh, you know, Christians get bitter and they get angry and they have pride and they have ego and unforgiveness. Well, that's carnal people walking around with that stuff. They're getting pleasure out of it. They won't admit it. They'll act like, oh, I don't want to be mad. Oh, yeah, you do. Oh, I don't want to be bitter. Oh, yeah, you do. 
I don't want to be unforgiving. Oh, yeah, you do. You're getting pleasure out of judging people. You get carnal, not, not spiritual pleasure, but you get carnal pleasure. People get pleasure out of the flesh, no matter what it is. Whatever the carnality, fleshly, lower nature, it brings pleasure. And so they, that's why they don't give it up. They don't give it up because their lower nature wants it. They may give up cussing. They may give up drinking. But most Christians won't give up the sins of the heart. And so, so then God wants to come. And he says, I want to bring a revival of my presence, my glory, my spirit, what we call revival, and rush in to overwhelm the people of God with my presence and glory. And we need it in our country right now. We need it in our churches. As I said in part one, all our sermons now are like group therapy talking about us, how to maintain who we are without getting discouraged. But that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is to transform us by the renewing of our mind, turning us into somebody else. And, uh, and people are afraid of that because they'll give up the cussing and drinking and boot scooting and whatever, whatever, you know. And uh, they'll give up the X-rated and R-rated movies or whatever they had before, but they won't give up the sins of the heart. And they're so afraid of it. They, don't, they, they know if it's a true move of God, they're going to have to have a change of heart. And, uh, and so, you know, you know what the Bible says about that. Well, well, actually, sometimes there's a fear, too, of uh, just an outward fear. Like, well, I, oh, if I, we have a move of God, we'll have to go to church more and serve more and give more and, do, you know, do things for God more. Well, well I won't get to watch my two-hour movie. And people think that's what God's going to ask for. Do you know what God is asking for is a whole lot deeper than a two-hour movie? Worldliness is not watching a two-hour movie. Worldliness is being a friend of the world. And the Bible says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. And what do you think happens to enemies of God? You just go take any kid that's gone to Sunday school for any length of time and say, what do you think is going to happen to an enemy? If you're an enemy of God, what do you think is going to happen to them? Well, they can tell you right now they're not going to end up in heaven. An enemy of God's not going to end up in heaven, yet those people think they can be an enemy of God. Well, an enemy of God is not someone that watched a two-hour movie, right? You're not a, got all the subscription to all the movie channels. That's not an enemy of God. The enemy of God is the one that's got things in their heart that have nothing to do with God. In unforgiveness and bitterness and pride. Oh, my. Pride got Satan thrown out of heaven. What do you think? You're going to get in with it? Huh? So, so the people know that, that to really have a move of God, they're going to have to have a change of heart because their worldliness is in their heart and they're keeping it hold of it. And it's like the old Pharisees, you know, they wipe the outside clean. Church people are so good. They're professionals, aren't they? And wiping the outside clean. They don't cuss anymore. They don't drink anymore. They watch, you know, they only watch the good movies and they're, they're nice people. They're clean cut carnal people. They're carnal, but they're clean cut on the outside. But inside, what's inside? They're still judgment. They're dangerous people in church. They will cut you down. They'll stab you in the back and they'll, they'll turn against you. And pretty soon they're out the door of the church and at another church and they'll do the same thing again to them. And so we got to have a revival of the heart, the cleansing of the heart, clean the inside. And uh, so worldliness is in the heart. It's not what you do on the outside. And so I think religious people, they always get it backwards. The Pharisees got it, got it backwards. And, and so religious people, they just get so proud of the way they handle things on Sunday, but they don't look at what's Monday through Saturday is where worldliness uh, takes place. And so 
So, you know, uh, and, and we got we to gotta humble ourselves and realize we need to be molded and made and changed. We need to be, for the sake of the kingdom of God, what Jesus needs us to be. And we need to get rid of the clutter that's in our heart. We do not need another sermon to encourage us to keep going in our present state. Oh, we like to hear it. But that's not the kingdom of God. You're listening to another gospel. You're listening to strange voices. And, uh, and those strange voices and those strange sermons, that doesn't mean those people are bad. That means those people themselves have only been taught that. They have not been taught the Bible. They don't know how to preach the Bible. They're preaching only what they know to preach. And they sincerely are, I think, they're sincerely trying to help people. But Encouraging Christians to continue to go on in their present state is not the kingdom of God, and it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God comes to turn us and to transform us and to renew our mind that we are transformed. We're changed into something else. So why no revival? Well, we don't have revival because we got a bunch of people that don't want it. And I wrote in my book, When the Kingdom Comes, it's the first book I wrote. If you haven't got it, you can go to the website and, and get it and figure out how to get it or go to Amazon or someplace and get it. When the Kingdom Comes, it's in seven or eight languages. It's used as a textbook in revival. And I have in there uh, a powerless God, and I describe a powerless God. And then the question comes up, why would people want a powerless God? You know why people want a powerless God? Because a powerless God leaves you alone. And that's what people want today. They want to go to church, talk about themselves, keep themselves the way they are, get assured that they're going to go to heaven in their present condition and be left alone. They want a God that leaves them alone while a preacher tells them you can stay in your current condition. You don't have to be transformed. Just keep going just like you are. Just keep going and be like you are. Everything's going to be all right until you go into the heavenly realm. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We need a revival that transforms, transfigures, changes us from the inside out so we truly can be the light of the world. I hope this helps you. This is Why No Revival Part 2. Until next time, we'll talk more about revival. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Revive Us Now podcast with Steve Gray. Push the subscribe button so you don't miss an episode and spread the word on social media. For more episodes and resources, go to reviveusnowpodcast.com. Until next time, keep on running for revival. Revival.